I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. All class, all action. It's high noon for Wednesday, July 7th, 2021. Follow the podcast on the Telegram Messenger app at t.me slash I'm your moderator or join the discussion thread at t.me slash I'm reasonable. You can also find me on Gab and Getter at I'm your moderator and the merch site is www.cancelcotour.com. Today is the 168th day of Barack Obama's third term, as served by the half-dead, demented, degenerate, ventriloquist dummy fake proxy president Joe Biden, who is overwhelmingly compromised by the Chinese Communist Party, the patriarch of one of the most corrupt families in American history, and the father of one of the most despicable sons to ever walk the earth. That's Hunter Biden. So congratulations, commies. You all accepted that the reality inside the bubble was also the reality that existed outside the bubble. And you're finding out you're wrong and it's going to get so much worse. But if you're the sort of commie who's beginning to realize that. There is hope for you and With that, I would like to extend a warm Wednesday high noon welcome to all of the redeemable communists out there. Hello, commies. It's so great that you found this show. I don't know how you did, but I'm happy you're here. And I would encourage you to stay, even if at times it feels like you are being personally attacked by my words, even though I don't know you personally are listening which is something important to keep in mind. The truth is, I'm just attacking your ideas and the ideas of people like you. And there's a good reason for that. It's because they're actually pretty stupid and evil and they bring nothing but authoritarian control and a diminishment of humanity upon a society when ideas like that are held by the people who hold power in a society. And hopefully today we are seeing that power and those ideas be struck down a little bit more. And so that's what we're going to talk about today because there are a whole lot of things going on today. This is what you might call a big news day. But Before we get to that, I want to talk about a couple of things from yesterday after the show ended, because, of course, they're still happening. So the first thing I want to mention is that the White House yesterday released a statement by President Joe Biden. And this is the official title of this statement, by the way. Statement by President Joe Biden on the six-month anniversary of the January 6th insurrection on the Capitol. Now, I don't know why 
they're celebrating a six-month anniversary of a very violent insurrection that was neither very violent nor an insurrection. But this is the sort of thing they do. They had a celebration for the anniversary of the death of George Floyd as well. I think that this is what they are down to, really, on their ability to create news cycles. You know, the news cycles they want are not working. So now they're celebrating the anniversaries of something that creates a similar news cycle that they think worked better before. Like, there's no reason to just out of nowhere start talking about January 6th again. I know, obviously, that they never really stopped. But when they do stuff like this, they are basically saying, we want to we get this back in the news. And, you know, probably in a way that doesn't require them to talk about the fact that they have political prisoners being persecuted and held in prison right now, held in solitary confinement for 23 hours a day for being at the Capitol. So they don't want to talk about that. And they probably don't want to talk about how they have sent the FBI all across the country to arrest innocent civilians like the couple in Alaska whose bed and breakfast was raided by the FBI. They thought that couple had Nancy Pelosi's laptop, which we were told was never actually taken. But (laughs) I guess it was taken enough to warrant sending the FBI to Alaska. But here's the statement. Not even during the Civil War did insurrectionists breach our capital, the citadel of our democracy. They always say the citadel of our democracy. Hey, guys, we get it. Stop calling it that. Call it that every now and then if you like. But, you know, stop it. Also, not even during the Civil War did insurrectionists breach our capital. Well, that's good. Thank you for the history lesson. But they also didn't do that on January 6th, except for the Antifa people. Who did breach the Capitol? Well, that would be the May 19th organization who bombed the Capitol. And this is from a Newsweek fact check that, you know, Newsweek had to run because they were worried about the power of memes. They found the meme about that incident only partially true. Why? Because the meme misdescribed where in the Black Lives Matter organization Susan Rosenberg actually sits. This said that she was the global head of Black Lives Matter. That's not true. She is on the board of an organization called Thousand Currents, which is the fiscal sponsor for Black Lives Matter, which allows them to hide their donations, their taxes, and their expenditures. So, you know, a very, very good, important organization. So I'm just going to quote a few paragraphs of this so you can understand what actually did happen at the Capitol in our actual history. Late in the evening of, and by the way, I should say in our actual history with Newsweek's proper massaging of the facts. 
Late in the evening of November 7th, 1983, members of M19CO called the U.S. Capitol switchboard and advised evacuation of the building prior to setting off an explosion in the Capitol's north wing. No one was harmed by the detonation, which was in protest of the U.S. decision to invade socialist Granada. But about one million dollars of damage was caused, according to Smithsonian Magazine. And that sounds worse than January 6th, unless you're a lying communist. During the following 20-month span, M19CO continued a pattern of resistance bombings at the Israel Aircraft Industries Building, the South African Consulate in New York City, Fort McNair in Washington, and the Washington Navy Yard. Each time, the group called ahead to clear the area. How nice. One of the members involved in these attacks was Rosenberg, who was arrested by the FBI in 1984 and charged with possession of explosives. She was convicted and sentenced to 58 years in prison, but served only 16 after being pardoned by President Clinton on his final day in office. While in prison, Rosenberg became a writer and activist, taking on multiple leadership roles in the nonprofit sector and academia after her sentence. Today, she is the vice chair of the board of directors of Thousand Currents, which performed fundraising and administrative work for the Black Lives Matter Global Network Project for several years. Okay, well, that's a lot, isn't it? Does that sound worse than what happened on January 6th? Of course it does. Don't lie. Don't even think about lying. Redeemable commie who might be listening. Okay? You know it's worse. Going into the Capitol and setting off a bomb is worse than walking into the Capitol after the police wave you in and then talking to the police inside the Capitol. Right? Got to agree with that part. Okay? Now, I know you saw people climbing on walls. Oh, my God, it was like World War Z, except they're not zombies. They're just people. And, yes, yeah, some people broke some windows. And, yes, you saw smoke bombs going off and tear gas and all those things that the cops fired on mostly innocent and peaceful people. I'm not making any excuses for the violence that happened that day. I'm sure that some of the people engaged in violence were indeed Trump supporters. I'm not sure that they initiated the violence, but we'll find out in due time. I'm also sure that there were plenty of uh, leftist instigators and people like John Sullivan, who runs an organization called Insurgents USA and also goes by Jaden X. His footage was used by the mainstream media companies, and it was shown in the Democrats' carefully edited film packages that they tried to sway the country with in the second sham impeachment. We also know that there were FBI agents and informants in and among the crowd and instigating the violence that happened that day. Okay? All of that is true. Do we know everything about the incident? We do not. Am I trying to alleviate the guilt of every Trump supporter? Well... No, I hope not, if they were actually guilty of stuff. If they went and instigated violence, then fine. That's a choice they made, and they can pay the price for it. But that's not what most people are being held for. Most people are being held for being there. But let's get back to the fake president's statement on the very violent insurrection. 
But six months ago today, insurrectionists did, and he means they did breach the Capitol, the citadel of our democracy. Worse than the Civil War now, apparently. They launched a violent and deadly assault on the People's House, on the People's Representatives, and on the Capitol Police sworn to protect them as our duly elected Congress carried out the sacred ritual of our republic and certified the Electoral College vote. This was not dissent. It was disorder. It posed an existential crisis and a test of whether our democracy could survive. A sad reminder that there is nothing guaranteed about our democracy. Yes, the sad reminder that there is nothing guaranteed about our democracy was the fact that those people pretending to serve their constituents certified an obviously fraudulent election. But while it shocked and saddened the nation and the world, six months later, we can say unequivocally that that democracy did prevail. Oh, really? Aren't they arguing every day that democracy has not prevailed because of (laughs) states passing laws to make sure that it's harder to cheat in their elections? They're not even making sure it's impossible to cheat. They're just making sure it's more difficult. And that we all must continue the work to protect and preserve it. That requires people of goodwill and courage to stand up to the hate, the lies, and the extremism that led to this vicious attack, including determining what happened so that we can remember it and not bury it, hoping we forget. It requires all of us working together, Democrats, Republicans, and Independents, on behalf of the common good to restore decency, honor, and respect for the rule of law. And it impels our government, both the executive and legislative branches, to take the urgent steps needed to protect the fundamental right to vote. Oh, got it. So you're celebrating the anniversary of an event that you allowed and staged. And you're celebrating the anniversary to remind everyone that any measure taken to ensure sure that the elections actually do have integrity is antithetical to our democracy. It's good that they have a way now of throwing that in people's faces. Just remember, it's not about the very deadly insurrection. It's about voter ID, which now even James Clyburn says is okay. Trump kind of went after him at, uh, for that in his speech today. But uh, yeah, he was on James Clyburn. James Clyburn, the guy who stole the election for Joe Biden in the primary in South Carolina, that James Clyburn said that he actually has never been opposed to voter ID. He's only opposed to specific kinds of voter ID that are very hard to get for some people that he imagines must exist. It also requires all of us to remember who we are as a nation at our best. And that we are so much better than what we saw on January 6th. Yes, we are so much better than the people who are pretending to be our elected leaders certifying an obviously fraudulent election. Great point, Joe. Or whoever wrote this for Joe. Joe Biden could not have constructed one of these sentences. And by the way, this is not good writing. This is this is ad copy, basically. They are trying to get their point in there. They are trying to use emotional buzzwords to put you on their side. And then they are redirecting you toward a policy initiative that has absolutely nothing to do with the thing they're saying. 
Got it? So they're using all these very emotional terms to describe January 6th as something it simply was not if you know any of the facts, much less all of the facts available to us now with our limited knowledge of what the security tapes, 14,000 hours worth of security tapes actually show. Our knowledge about that is very limited. Why? Because they're hiding it on purpose. But to the extent that we know what happened, we know it wasn't what they were describing. So they describe something in false but emotional terms, try to make everyone else take on that feeling that they had that day, and then twisting it, taking a little exit off the highway, and taking you down the road to this being somehow about voting. We are the United States of America, and over the last few months, we have shown what we can do when we come together, beat a deadly virus, get our economy going again, and prove that democracy can deliver for the people. Yeah, Trump did that, you commies. On this day, Jill and I send our condolences again to the families of the U.S. Capitol Police officers who lost their lives or suffered severely in defense of our democracy. We pray for them and for our nation. Really? What about Ashley Babbitt's family? Do you pray for them? Are they worthy of your condolences and your sympathies? Because so far, most of what I've seen from your side, Enfeebled Usurper, is that Ashley Babbitt's death has been made irrelevant and all of the brain-dead mouthpieces you have out on the mainstream news consistently call her a terrorist worthy of death. You also tried to hide the identity of her shooter for six months. And it turns out that it's Capitol Police Officer Mike Bird, a man who had gotten in trouble before for leaving his firearm in the bathroom, right? No big deal there. <laughs> it's just a gun in the U.S. Capitol. That's no threat. Got to keep that guy on the team, right? All he does is leave his gun somewhere. I wonder what someone could have done with that gun. Thank goodness someone actually found it. Because... You know, the last time people were shooting at congressmen and doing violence toward congressmen, I feel like it was, yeah, it was that uh, congressional softball game where a Bernie Sanders supporter came in and shot at Steve Scalise and other congressmen. And then, of course, Rand Paul was attacked in his own yard. Yeah. Huh. Thank goodness, right? Thank goodness no one walked into that bathroom and got Officer Mike Bird's gun while in the Capitol past the metal detectors. Man, you know, if they wanted to stage an attack, an actual attack, I could hardly think of better ways for them to do it. But that's probably not what happened. So Mike Bird was the man who shot Ashley Babbitt. And that was admitted accidentally or otherwise by the sergeant of arms the other day. In an interview, he just said Mike Bird's name just out loud. No big deal. 
Maybe he thought everybody knew. Maybe he thought it wasn't a secret anymore. But he gave up the goods. So Mike Bird is still there. No one's talked about punishing him. Ashley Babbitt was shot at point-blank range for trying to move through a door. Breaking a window and moving through a door. I'm not sure she even broke the window. There's some pretty extensive video of that. Much of it shot by John Sullivan, Jaden X. In that video, three people in police uniforms walk away from where these people are trying to invade the speaker's chambers. And they go down the stairs, just leaving the mob right there at the door while they're trying to breach it. Ashley Babbitt climbs on up with no warning. Officer Mike Bird shoots her in the left shoulder or maybe the left part of her chest. Everybody seems to be attending to the left side of her neck, but we're told she was shot in the shoulder. Doesn't matter what the video shows, I guess. And of course, it also doesn't matter that there were actually no Capitol Police officers killed that day. Brian Sicknick died from two strokes, not from being bludgeoned with a fire extinguisher, but they don't care. Two other officers committed suicide within the week or so following the event. Now, that's awfully strange. We're told that the event was very traumatic. You know, we have reports of AOC and other Congress people needing therapy to recover from their very serious trauma that is Very real, for sure, and they're not just saying it. Vice put out an article, I think, yesterday about how journalists were afraid to go back into the building because who knows what could happen. Yes, they could have another rally at the Capitol with hundreds of thousands of people. Couldn't they? Oh, no, those things actually have to be planned. Oh, that's interesting. And would they stage another riot like that if we were to plan another one of those things? And by we, I mean the royal we, the people, not me particularly. I had nothing, no role in the planning. So is that going to happen? No, it's not going to happen. But what could happen? Oh, what could happen is leftists who continually resort to political violence going in and bombing it again like they did the last time. That's the greatest violent threat against the Capitol since the Civil War, if you want to be technical about it. And it is odd how they continue to use the word insurrection, especially after the way they had referred to it in 2020 when the word was being bandied about to address the BLM Antifa rioters. They do want to pretend that Trump supporters are insurrectionists. They want to define us that way. And there is some intention behind that. Now, it is obviously not true. There was no insurrection that day by Trump supporters, not by any definition of the word. And I just want to read a piece of the Insurrection Act for you. And this is what it says. This is 10 U.S. Code Section 254, the Proclamation to Disperse. Whenever the president considers it necessary to use the militia or the armed forces under this chapter, he shall by proclamation immediately order the insurgents to disperse and retire peaceably to their abodes within a limited time. Now, I recall video on January 6th, 
of Donald Trump doing exactly that. And I also recall the social media companies making sure to take that video down so that no one could see it. That is called narrative control. They didn't want people to know that Donald Trump asked his supporters to peacefully go home. But he did it, and we know it. We should talk about that all the time because the communists probably don't know it at all. Their whole story was that Donald Trump wanted the insurrection. That is obviously false. I still do wonder, though, what was inside that red folder that Donald Trump was holding that day while smiling? I will always wonder that, at least until we get an answer. And one day we will get an answer. Isn't that great? All of these mysteries, we know that one day they will be solved for us. It is a nice way to feel. So Biden's statement emphasizes their voting priorities, right? They don't want any states to make their elections more secure. If it gets harder for them to cheat, then it's harder for them to stay in office. And if there's no cheating, then they can't stay in office. Hence the opposition to the audits. And of course, they also repeat the insurrection claims because you got to keep repeating it or else people might realize it isn't true. But the other part of that is that they have to make the Capitol Police our new heroes. Now, a lot of people don't understand what the Capitol Police are. They just assume it's another law enforcement branch of the federal government. And they just so happen to work at the U.S. Capitol. And that's it. But we're getting reports now that Nancy Pelosi is having the Capitol Police set up field offices starting in California and Florida. And their duty in these field offices is to respond to threats in those states against the physical security of members of Congress, okay? Now, obviously, this is something strange. But let's hear more about what the Capitol Police actually are and actually do. This is from Roll Call. And, you know, there are many articles like this. This one gives a good layout of what this whole thing is about. So that's why I chose it. There's nothing special about it otherwise. Chris Marquette, June 15th, 2020. The headline is Capitol Police, a department shrouded in secrecy. It's amazing what the news will will report when they don't already know there's another narrative they need to support later. It's it's great to be able to go back and see what the exact same news outlets have written prior to needing to toe the commie line now. Like there's an article that was going around yesterday from Business Insider about how the FBI regularly sets up the terrorism plots. It then solves solves, of course, in quotes. And the subheading, the subheadline here is the police entity charged with protecting and securing Congress is not subject to FOIA requests. Whoa, that's interesting, isn't it? And that's why I'm bringing this up. 
Democrats and Republicans in Congress have called for an overhaul of law enforcement practices following the police killing of George Floyd. But those same lawmakers who want accountability and transparency nationwide aren't taking a stance on whether their own department, the Capitol Police, should be subject to the Freedom of Information Act. As a part of the legislative branch, the department remains exempt from the law. Okay? Exempt from the law. They want to hold police officers all across the country accountable, whether or not they actually did something wrong in the context of their jobs. They are publicizing their faces and names. They are putting those people in direct, immediate physical threat and their family members, and they are ruining these people's lives way before they've ever gone to trial and ever had the chance to defend themselves. This stuff is all carried out in the media and on social media, and anybody who actually expresses the facts and tells the truth about these stories is censored. Remember the whole Breonna Taylor thing? House and Senate Democrats rolled out an expansive criminal justice bill on June 8th to hold law enforcement accountable for misconduct in court, improve transparency through data collection, and upgrade police training and policies. Their legislation would, in part, create a national police misconduct registry maintained by the Justice Department that would be made public. It would also mandate state and local law enforcement agencies to report use of force data disaggregated by race, sex, disability, religion, and age. A Senate charge to revamp policing is being spearheaded by Senator Tim Scott, a South Carolina Republican. Despite the public outcry for more transparency, none of the lawmakers who serve on committees whose jurisdiction includes the Capitol Police said the force charged with protecting and securing Congress should be subject to the 1966 Freedom of Information Act that requires federal agencies to disclose a large amount of government information to the public. Congress is not subject to the law, and the Capitol Police, as a component of the legislative branch, is also exempt from any FOIA request. And I'm going to skip down a bit, but you can obviously go read this if you want. Uh, The Capitol Police, which gets its funding from taxpayer money, is able to make arrests outside of the Capitol complex, including around Union Station. Jonathan M. Smith, executive director of the Washington Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights and Urban Affairs, said Congress needs to address the opaqueness of the force. They operate not only on the Capitol grounds, but they have a cooperation agreement with the city that permits them to make arrests off the Capitol grounds, Smith said. For them to be an agency operating in the district without the same kind of transparency that the district government has is really not a good thing, and Congress should address it and fix it. Demand Progress, a progressive organization, has written to several lawmakers asking for them to improve the accountability of the Capitol Police. The group's policy director, Daniel Schumann, notes that almost 10% of annual arrests are made at Union Station. Many of those arrests are for traffic violations or drug use, according to Demand Progress. When the USCP is acting in a law enforcement capacity, it should be held to similar standards as other law enforcement agencies, the letter says. When it acts like a federal agency, it should be held to account like all federal agencies. And then it goes on to have Democrat Tim Ryan in favor of increasing transparency. Understand that at this time last year, a couple weeks after George Floyd died, transparency for the Capitol Police was something that the progressives fully supported. Do they support it anymore? I bet you they don't. Certainly the members of Congress in the Communist Party don't support it. But who runs the Capitol Police, really? Now, of course, in the organization, they have their own leadership structure. But as we just read, 
The Capitol Police is accountable to the legislative branch. And who runs the legislative branch? Well, that would be Nancy Pelosi. And that would be Chuck Schumer and Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy in their own roles. There are committees that oversee the Capitol Police. But ultimately, the person with the most power on Capitol Hill is Nancy Pelosi. And now they are taking their police force outside the bounds of the Capitol and beginning to set up field offices around the country. So the Congress has its own private, unaccountable law enforcement agency that can pretty much do whatever it wants, I guess. And they're sending them around the country. What could go wrong? What could go wrong that the dictatorial powers currently illegitimately sitting in the offices of our government have control over a private and unaccountable police force. What could go wrong? Oh, wait, they just announced they're about to have door-to-door vaccination forces out there. What could they do? Well, you know, maybe they're just going to nicely offer a vaccine and people can simply decline and they'll go on their merry way. Everyone will leave with a smile on their face. They tried. They tried to save these people, but they just didn't want saving. That's possible. Don't know why anyone would would believe that. But it's possible. So to believe that, you would actually have to believe that the vaccines are life-saving and very effective and very safe. All of those things are false. The disease itself has a 99.9% recovery rate. And the people who die from it are all over 70 with multiple comorbidities. That's just a fact. The CDC does not dispute that fact. The variants are no more deadly than OG COVID. And those were the stats on OG COVID. Okay? So it's not life-saving. And the effectiveness argument is a pretty silly one because there's no way that a vaccine with what we're told is a 95% effective rate could be more effective than an immune system with a 99.9% effective rate. That's ridiculous. We're already beginning to hear that those effectiveness rates, those efficacy rates were overstated big time. And it's not very safe because more people have died after taking this vaccine than have died after taking all other vaccines for the last 20 years. So, Right there, the argument is gone. Okay, so they're not doing this as a favor. And they're not doing it to create herd immunity because herd immunity has quite obviously already been reached, which is why the cases are basically down to nothing. And the tests that they use to detect cases in the first place yield almost exclusively false positives. So where is our need for herd immunity? Kami, can you tell me or are you just scared we might not have herd immunity until things are the way Dr. Fauci says they have to be? And until then, you can't go back to normal life. But by the way, hey, commies, hey, everybody, actually. Haven't they proven to you enough times that 
doing what they say is not the route back to normal life. Doing what they say is the route to the new normal. And they're not even secretive about that. They tell you about that. You're not getting back to your normal life by doing what they say. That's false. You get back to your normal life by simply doing it, which you are able to do. If you can just find the strength to take your mask off. So then what are the door-to-door vaccine forces doing? Are we meant to believe that they're not tracking people's responses, whether they were pleasantly declining the vaccine or whether they asked the vaccine givers to leave their property immediately? Are we supposed to imagine that the people going door to door are going to respect the civil rights of the people they're talking to? Is it possible, for instance, that they are going door to door specifically to agitate people that do not want the vaccine? Also, they have mentioned that they're going to be targeting people who have not taken the vaccine, which would lead one to wonder, how do they know that? Now, if any of this concerns you regarding your safety, don't worry. Nancy Pelosi has an unaccountable police force ready to become part of your community. What could be better? All right. So the first big piece of news today was something that happened before a lot of us woke up last night. The president of Haiti and his wife were assassinated. Initially, it was thought his wife was just injured. She didn't die immediately, but has since died. That is a big deal. A political assassination is always a big deal, no matter where in the world it happens. And there's not enough information about this to know the full context. But the things that we do know are these. One, there are reports that the team of people who assassinated the president and his wife claimed at some point to be American DEA agents, that it was a DEA operation. Now, I don't know if that's true or not. It's totally possible that people said that and they weren't actually DEA. It's also possible that the reports are wrong, and it's also possible that it really was the DEA, which would be a horrifying turn of events. It's also true that Haiti is one of the countries in the world that does not have the vaccines and has not been distributing vaccines to its people. And as far as COVID goes, they seem to be doing okay. I don't think that there's a major outcry about their lack of vaccines. We also know that the Clinton Global Initiative has had a major presence in Haiti since the major earthquake there. God, what was it, 12 years ago or so at this point? And there are stories about the Clinton Global Initiative intersecting with the ownership of mines. And there are some other shady operations that may or may not be connected to the Clinton Global Initiative there. I don't have the full knowledge on that stuff, so I'm not going to say anything more about it than that. But this is something that everyone should keep their eye on. Also today, Doug Mastriano 
has announced that Pennsylvania is moving forward in their push to have full forensic audits of the 2020 election and then the primary election that they held more recently this year. And they're looking to do a full forensic audit on Philadelphia County, Cuyahoga County, and York County. This is being led by Senator, uh, Pennsylvania State Senator Doug Mastriano. He went down to the Arizona audit and took a tour of that. He was extremely impressed, and he wants to bring the same kind of process to Pennsylvania. He says he has the votes to subpoena all of the election records, the ballots, everything else. Same process that the Arizona Senate used. Now, obviously, it's not beginning today, but the hope is that over the next few weeks, this will advance. It will become a full forensic audit, and they are quite certain that they will show discrepancies along the lines of what we expect to see in Wisconsin, Michigan, Georgia, Arizona, and elsewhere. In interviews this morning, Mastriano said that polling indicates at least half of Pennsylvanians want this to happen. They do not trust the results of the Pennsylvania elections. Mastriano also said he believes that the number is actually much higher than that. And normally that's one of those things that Liberals would scoff at, oh, well, you can't just say it's higher. Well, yeah, you kind of can, actually, because you look at how the questions are asked and you look at how people give answers. And then you compare that to the same sorts of surveys being done around the country. And you find out that it turns out, well, more than half of the country is just fine with forensic audits. So this is a nice step forward. It's not a full step forward. We're not all the way there, but it's a big step. And once a second state engages in a forensic audit, it's going to be real hard for people like Rachel Maddow and other communists out there in the media and around the country to say that this is all a big conspiracy theory. It's just being done by QAnons. No one really believes the big lie. Those days are coming quickly to an end. And how wonderful that will be when we don't actually have to keep pretending that these communists might have a point. They do not have a point. Full forensic audits everywhere. That's the goal. And it takes way longer than we want, but that's still the goal. Now, Marjorie Taylor Greene on The War Room this morning made a point to remind people on our side that none of this means that the election's just going to be overturned and then Trump will be reinstated. And that's fine. She's being responsible. I appreciate that position. I am still of the mind that I don't see a conceivable way that the country can just allow an illegitimate president to stay in office. And that is what we will soon know. That Joe Biden's, I hate to even call it a presidency, but that his presidency is completely illegitimate. And Mike Lindell's packet captures are going to show the same exact thing. The Results of the Arizona audit when they come out, which is, you know, hopefully in the next five weeks. They'll show the exact same thing. They're finding more and more problems in Georgia as that advances. We already know that the 200,000 people who claimed indefinite confinement in Wisconsin, those ballots should have all been thrown out. 
So there are a number of routes to the desired outcome, but the desired outcome is not just getting Trump back in office and not just making it clear to the country and the world that Joe Biden is completely illegitimate. The goal is to get forensic audits all across the nation so we know where all the crimes were, we know where all the cheating was, and we know what the proper outcome should be everywhere, okay? It's not good enough to just overturn the Electoral College numbers. Although that's nice, it's not good enough. There are a lot of people in office right now that did not win elections. There are ballot measures that passed or failed illegitimately. It matters. It really matters that we get to the bottom of all of this. And if you're wondering how it's going on the communist side of things, you can read this tweet storm by Pennsylvania Attorney General Josh Shapiro. If you recall, Josh Shapiro is the one who said in the days leading up to the election that if all votes were counted, Joe Biden would definitely win. And again, he's not talking about all legal votes. He's just talking about let them keep counting until Joe Biden wins. And when that happens, you'll know Joe Biden has won. So this is what Shapiro said today in response to Doug Mastriano. Joe Biden won Pennsylvania by more than 80,000 votes. There were two legal bipartisan audits of the 2020 election. Both confirmed that result. Not true, but fine. Attacks on our elections are attacks on our democracy. I've defended our votes dozens of times in court, and I won't stop now. Oh, so tough. The defender of the vote. He should have his own comic book. Pennsylvania Republicans, including the leaders of their party, continue to push the big lie. The truth is Joe Biden won the election. Donald Trump lost. Two legal audits found no widespread fraud. Oh, interesting. Widespread. It's strange that you didn't just say no fraud. Because that's what we're told to believe, that there's no fraud. Your definition of widespread is changeable. And knowing that you didn't actually audit the vote in any meaningful way, the whole statement can just immediately be thrown out. Let's move on and focus on Pennsylvanians, he says. This weekend, this is what he follows it up with, by the way. This weekend, white supremacists marched on the city of Philadelphia, the birthplace of our democracy. As they marched, they repeated the big lie. They chanted the words of Donald Trump, the words of the modern day Republican Party. Republicans, show some damn courage already. That's what the Pennsylvania Attorney General wrote. White supremacists marched on Philadelphia? Really? How come everyone hasn't heard about this fact? How does he know they were white supremacists? Because they were repeating the big lie? That's now the definition of white supremacy? No, the big lie is that the election was a legitimate election. People saying that the election was stolen are not lying. They're especially not telling the big lie. And there's no reason whatsoever to infer from the fact that they can state the simple and obvious truth that the election was a product of overwhelming fraud. There's no indication that that makes them white supremacists. How do you even infer that? This is ridiculous. And when people are saying 
totally ridiculous things to cause an emotional reaction in the reader. You can assume they don't have a better case than the one they're making. And that's exactly what Josh Shapiro is doing. Josh Shapiro thinks he's going to be governor of Pennsylvania one day. Josh Shapiro is more likely to be a Pennsylvania inmate one day. And that brings us to the day's biggest news. I just want to say that I stand before you this morning to announce a very important and very beautiful, I think, development for our freedom and our freedom of speech. And that goes to all Americans today in conjunction with the America First Policy Institute, I'm filing as the lead class representative a major class action lawsuit against the big tech giants, including Facebook, Google, and Twitter, as well as their CEOs, Mark Zuckerberg, Sundar Pichai, and Jack Dorsey. Three real nice guys. We're asking the U.S. District Court for the Southern District of Florida to order an immediate halt to social media companies' illegal, shameful censorship of the American people, and that's exactly what they are doing. We're demanding an end to the shadow banning, a stop to the silencing, and a stop to the blacklisting, banishing, and canceling that you know so well. Our case will prove this censorship is unlawful, it's unconstitutional, and it's completely un-American. We all know that. We all know that very, very well. And he goes on to say that they will be seeking punitive damages. He also did a Q&A after the speech and was asked if he might settle with the social media companies and their CEOs. And he said quite clearly that they are not seeking a settlement and they want to actually go through with the case, which is awesome because as he made clear and as his attorneys made clear, they view Facebook, Twitter and Google as having operated as state actors. They have worked in conjunction with states and with the federal government to stifle dissent, whether it's about the coronavirus or the elections or anything else. They have worked to censor the American people's political speech in conjunction with the government. That is a direct and obvious violation of the First Amendment. I talked about this when Rogan O'Handley started his case with Harmeet Dillon against Twitter For what Rogan O'Hanley found in the Judicial Watch FOIAs, I myself appear in that FOIA as having been censored by the state of California. Dr. Shiva's uh, case in Massachusetts is very similar as well. And then you'll also notice that in Mike Lindell's suit that he's bringing against Dominion, his claims are based on the RICO statutes. And he was viewing Dominion as a state actor as well, because Dominion works in conjunction with the governments 
that use Dominion machines and allow their elections to be run by Dominion. And this, as I've said, is what I consider key to the whole thing. The fact that these are not simply private entities that are protected by Section 230, but instead are state actors by virtue of the fact that they are doing this in league with the government. That's the real crux of the issue. And I obviously have no idea how quickly this thing is going to go. But it is amazing that this is finally happening. Now, if you've listened to the podcast for a long time, you will know that in late November, I actually looked back to find out. But on November 19th, the end of my episode was all about how I had read the new Instagram terms of service and right up top in Instagram's terms of service at that point, they said, if you are still on the platform as of December 20th, 2020, then you have consented to these new terms of service. And by consenting to the new terms of service, you have waived your right to join a class action lawsuit against Instagram and Facebook. And that's what I told everybody. I said, hey, you might want to think about deleting your profile by the time December 20th rolls around. Now, I had already been banned off Instagram a few weeks prior and then reinstated. But the terms of service addressed that as well. The terms of service made it clear that they could censor you and they could take you off their platform anytime they wanted. And so people who continued using the platform after that agreed to those terms of service. And it says it right there in their agreement. Now, is it possible that that will be overridden by whatever the court does? Yeah, of course it's possible. And I hope it happens, honestly, for all the people who have been censored but nonetheless stayed on there. You know, like, I think they did the wrong thing, obviously. But I still hope that they get justice because nobody should be censored on any of these platforms. If they didn't have the censorship regime in place, there is absolutely no way anyone in the country would believe that this was a free and fair election or would believe that COVID is very deadly or that masks work or that lockdowns work or any of the rest of this nonsense. If we were freely sharing information without the censorship and without the banning, we would be living in a different world right now. People's minds would not be such a mess. People would not be so confused. But this is what you get with a totalitarian regime in place that is willing to suppress any and all political dissent, including social media posts. The biggest weapon against these people is the truth. The biggest weapon against these people is the free flow of information. If everyone knows the truth, they don't stand a chance. They know that. That's why the censorship is there. It strikes me as odd that people's first reaction to hearing this news is, oh, well, yeah, but the courts are so unfair. Like, this is just going to, this isn't going to work. Like, what? What do you mean? Do you think Trump is just doing this on a lark he's bringing it 
to court in the Southern District of Florida. So he must be, and his legal team must have at least felt like that would be an appropriate venue where he could contest this and get a fair hearing. He has a great team of attorneys around him. And he actually made a point to say that these are the tobacco attorneys, so they know what they're doing. (laughs) And by the way, not to get off on too much of a tangent here, but I'm a smoker and it is amazing how marginalized smokers are just total misinformation across the entire society. Everybody thinks that their life is being put at risk by being around someone who is smoking a cigarette. That's not true. Everyone also thinks that cigarettes are just automatically going to kill you. And for some people that is true, but it's not true for everybody. And if you're going to tell me that my lungs are in worse shape because I'm a smoker than everyone who doesn't smoke, I'm going to tell you you're crazy. Not only do I know that because I have no problem going on long runs, but I've also actually had my my chest examined, my chest x-rayed, and I've had EKGs taken. And the doctors are like, man, you must not smoke a lot. Except I do. So I guess everybody's body is different. You know, kind of the same way that people's bodies respond differently to food. Or kind of the same way that people's bodies respond differently to alcohol. That's how the world works. Sorry, you can't just line up every single thing and act like it's a sure thing one way or another. Also, you're not being killed by secondhand smoke, okay? We don't live in the 1950s where everybody just smoked indoors all day long. Smokers are actually pretty by and large, pretty polite about smoking. They're like, okay, we can't smoke in here anymore. Fine, we'll go outside. It's a nice excuse to get away from the dinner table. Nice excuse to go get a breath of fresh air. Whatever. And I know, you're like, (laughs) you can't get fresh air if you're smoking. Okay. But it is really odd that, that that's like one of those things that everybody gets to attack whenever they want. And no one will ever say, hey, you know what? Maybe settle down on that a bit. I remember in 2016 in California, there was a prop called uh, Prop 64. And it was going to add $2 in state tax to every pack of cigarettes, which, you know, that's kind of expensive. That's a full, I don't know, 30% of the price was increased for a tax that would then go to pay for something. And of course, they said it was children's health care and anti-smoking campaigns, but anti-smoking campaigns are just propaganda. And the truth is all their money is fungible. They will write whatever reports they want to write, but they're going to take your money away because they think that you can't control yourself. You can't make your own decisions. So the government is going to make your decisions for you, regardless of the consequences. And smoking was a perfectly acceptable boogeyman or demon that they could go after extract some more money from the people and then do with it as they please 
for me, the funniest part was, you know, I was out and about in Hollywood all the time. Then I was out more than I was home, more nights than I was home each year at that point. That's how many I was out in 2015. I think I was out like 330 nights and that was like my worst year. But 2016 and 2017, I was probably, you know, ball game, same, same kind of thing. 180 nights, 200 nights a year. That's a lot of being out. That's a lot of me having cigarettes and people asking me if they can have my cigarettes. And so what I started doing was asking them, hey, how did you vote on uh, Prop 64? And if they said that they voted against it, I would be like, well, my friend, have a cigarette. And if they said they voted for it or they didn't know about it, I would say, sorry, I'm not going to give you my cigarette. If you voted to make me pay more for these cigarettes and you don't have to buy them yourself, but you still expect me out of politeness to give you mine. Well, my friend, you have another thing coming. So I'm not totally trying to defend smoking. You do as you like. And I'm not totally trying to defend the tobacco attorneys. But there is a parallel here in terms of the protection for personal liberty. It actually is my choice whether or not I want to smoke. I can know all the very bad things and still decide to do it, just as people do with many of their decisions throughout every single day of their lives. Is it healthy to text while driving? No, probably not. A lot of people do it. I do it sometimes. You do it sometimes. Is it healthy to go downhill skiing on double black diamond trails? Well, maybe if you're real good, it is. And if you're not real good, maybe something bad could happen. Is it healthy to go base jumping? Hey, probably not. Is it healthy to take experimental gene therapies? Well, definitely not. But all sorts of commies signed up to do that. So, you know, it's how it goes. People make their own choices. But with Trump's case, we're talking about the First Amendment. This is our most basic liberty. There should be no restriction on our personal choices when it comes to us expressing our political opinions in a public forum, which is what those platforms ostensibly were. And despite the platform, we know that the government is not allowed to censor or prohibit our political speech. And that is exactly what they did using these private platforms, private in quotes, as proxies for their censorship. The government can't get in trouble because they're not the ones doing the censoring. The private platform can't get in trouble for doing the censoring because they're not the government. Isn't that convenient? So this is this is massive, honestly. I expect Trump to have success. Trump doesn't do things like this, generally speaking, without knowing that he has an extremely high probability of success. And if you watch how the media is now attacking this case, you can see the same level of diversion and panic that they express everywhere else. I was reading an article on CNN earlier 
And they said that this case would likely be thrown out just like all the other ones were because of Section 230 immunity. Well, CNN, perhaps you missed the whole part of the speech and the press conference where they were talking about how the platforms are now acting in coordination with government, which means they're acting on behalf of the state, which means they don't have their private platform immunity. They also go on to pretend that the case is about censorship based on partisan ideology. And that's not what the case centers on. The case centers on the fact that people were censored. That is a fact. They were censored. Their political speech was censored at the behest of government actors. And that the private companies were working in conjunction with the government to censor political speech because it was to the benefit of the parties involved in the censorship. That's what it's about. And so when CNN points out that there have been numerous studies indicating that the censorship is not the product of partisan ideology and that people get censored like left and right, And look at the shows that are still really big. Ben Shapiro, Dan Bongino, their shows are still number one, which shows that they're not being censored. Well, okay, it could show that. Or it could show that Ben Shapiro has spent millions of dollars on Facebook ads, which is true. Or it could show that if they weren't censored, their numbers would actually be much, much, much higher. So the little study that they put together doesn't mean anything. This is just more communist nonsense, more propaganda. The fact that they even have these institutions that supply them with whatever studies they need is part of the totalitarian propaganda regime. They make up the new facts whenever they need them. You need a new study? Here you go. Want some new the science? Call Anthony Fauci. He'll tell you about the newest, the science, anytime you want. Is it going to be the same as the old, the science? No. Is it going to make any sense? No. Is he going to have any facts behind that that he can actually explain and support? Of course not. But it's the new, the science. So go ahead and censor. And let's not act like these social media CEOs have not gone in front of Congress in sworn testimony and lied. They have provably lied. They took down the sitting president of the United States of America. They took down his video asking people to peacefully disperse. As we talked about before with the Insurrection Act. Why would they do that? Did they want Trump supporters not to peacefully disperse? Perhaps. I'm even happy to say for sure that was part of it. Or maybe they just didn't want people to know that Trump had actually come out and asked people to disperse. Because as we read before, that's something a sitting president has to do if they plan to enact the Insurrection Act. And I'll leave you with that. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. 
They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. Goodbye. Whether you're a total newbie to podcasting, or even if you've had a show before like me, you know how intimidating it can be to start your show. The tech side especially can be daunting. That's why I'm so grateful Anchor exists. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. They knock down all the barriers to entry. Let me explain. First off, it's free. I don't know how or why, but I'm happy about it. The platform's great. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. I can't even begin to describe how much easier it was to get my show on all the major platforms this time than it was a few years ago. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. That's right. You build your show, you make money. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place, and the company is committed to the success of its content creators. Go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Thanks for listening. Please follow the podcast on Instagram and Parler at I'm Your Moderator. Soon I'll be up on Rumble with a video aspect. In the meantime, if you'd like to support the show, I have a Substack, I'm Your Moderator.substack.com, where you can donate. Or you can donate at anchor.fm by searching Be Reasonable with your moderator, Chris Paul. I hope to see you soon. Back out on the rain. Acting as moderator for tonight's broadcast. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofi. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!